everybody, and welcome to another episode of SNESCapades, the show where two folks try to review every single Super Nintendo game that was ever released in North America. We play them briefly, judge them harshly, and then rank them on our list of Super Nintendo games. And that's pretty much all you need to know. I'm Steampunk Link, and with me as always is my friend, Emmy Zero. Hey everybody, I'm here. And uh, we are going to play some more Super Nintendo games today. I hope you're very excited for that. Uh, we got a pretty eclectic bunch of them today, don't we, Steampunk Link? Oh, we sure do. We've got some real interesting ones today. Let's see, what year is it? It is still 1991. It is still September, and it's going to remain step, uh, September of 1991 throughout the rest of this episode man uh it's amazing that we're uh, we're not gonna hear from newsy today huh we're not gonna hear from him but we'll, we'll get plenty of him in the next episode though don't you don't you worry i'm sure newsy's got a ton of fans out there already <laughs> for this this um what are we on now it's episode three this yeah is episode it's episode three, three. We're, we're rolling right on through yeah we're actually into a month that had uh, more than more than four games released in it, so that's pretty cool. It's kind of interesting because, like the original NES, the Super Nintendo had been out in Japan for quite a while before it hit uh, America. So they kind of had a somewhat of a decent library of games to pick from. Not quite to the extent that they did with the original NES. Well, no, I mean there were years of Famicom games uh, to oh, pick yeah. from before before the NES came out in in the U.S., but. There was still enough that they could kind of curate this initial selection pretty well. And I think you definitely see that because there's some Western developed games, and we're going to see one of those today, in fact. Uh, two well, of the, I no, think we're, we're going to see, see a couple of those. We're going to see yeah. two of those today. But um, the Japanese games that were coming over, a lot of them were first party Nintendo, and a lot of the ones that weren't were kind of from like some of their, their heavy hitters, you know. Whether or not that stuff was playing that well with the hardware at this point is is a different thing but clearly they were trying to put their best foot forward with a lot of this stuff coming out here so let's see how that goes this time without further ado how about we get into game number one for today Uh, let's do it So game number one is Populous. This was uh, pretty well known for being a uh, Peter Molyneux joint. M- Molyneux? Yeah, Molyneux. Right? Uh, yeah, you got it. This is kind of the game that put him on the map, really. This was a big deal when it came out originally on uh, computers. It was a, an Amiga game originally uh, from 1989. And here it is on the Super Nintendo a couple of years later in, I think, a pretty pretty true to its its original version form on the super nintendo yeah i don't know how much they really updated for this port specifically since on the title screen it still says 1989 bullfrog um yeah yeah. with the on the copyright so uh bullfrog productions is development studio that uh developed this game which was founded by les edgar and peter molyneux and kind of a precursor to lionhead studios a lot of the guys yeah from bullfrog would end up there and this was published by acclaim yeah. So Populous, like you said, this was a port of an Amiga game. Populous is kind of at home on the PC. On the Super Nintendo, it's interesting, sort of. So in, in case you're not familiar with Populous, this is uh, considered a god game in which you are playing as a deity of a bunch of little people who are walking around. You can kind of control the landscape around them. You can make earthquakes if you have enough prayer points or God power. I'm not sure how exactly that works, but 
basically, the more people you have on the screen who are uh, your followers, the more power you get. And that lets you kind of screw up the people who worship that other god who is bad. Yeah. Um, Obviously. Yeah. I mean, basically, the idea here is that you've got um, essentially like a, a meter that's sort of like a mana bar that fills up over the course of the game as you get more followers and they propagate and thrive. And you're supposed to kind of do stuff to make sure they thrive, but the other side doesn't. So as the meter builds up, you can exert your godly power in more extreme ways. You can cause natural disasters. You can raise and lower the land. You can promote some of your people into being kind of better fighters, but there's not really real-time strategy sort of thing. This is a very simple and very undirected sort of setup here where the, the people under your watch kind of do their own thing, but you kind of guide them in a, a particular direction. And then the kind of end game scenario for any map in this game is that once your meter builds up all the way, you can essentially instigate a final battle between your side and the other side. And depending on how well you've built them up and how good of a condition the other side is in, uh, either your people or the other people will prevail, and that'll determine whether you won or lost. It's a game that I, I feel like once you understand how it works is pretty straightforward, but I've got to say, uh, I find the interface for this game really hard to parse. You've got like an isometric view of the landscape. You can scroll around and go to different parts of it where you can affect things. And there are kind of two, uh, two sort of banks of buttons on the screen outside of the isometric view of the the landscape that you can toggle between and those will allow you to use your various powers or view what's going on differently, give your followers basic commands. And yeah, uh, the game itself doesn't really explain how any of that is supposed to work. There is a tutorial mode in this game. Yeah, um, the tutorial mode is really little more than just plopping you into the middle of a game in a very simple uh, environment to let you play around with the controls a little bit. But it doesn't actually tell you anything. So I feel like if one were to play this game, reading the manual for it is basically essential. In a way, the UI is almost a marvel of UI engineering, because I will say, like, everything is on the screen. Like, you've got access to... Everything is on the screen, yeah. Yeah, you've got access to your buttons that you need to influence the landscape. You've got uh, a meter showing you exactly what powers you have available to you at any given time. You've got a, a map kind of showing you the overall layout of the land and how your people are doing versus the other people. You've got a big book that actually displays part of the play area. There's a lot of stuff there, and it all is kind of laid out somewhat well, but yeah, you're right. It's just yeah. that it's completely inscrutable without knowing what anything does. Right. The icons are not intuitive. So yeah, like you said, you absolutely need to read an instruction manual to know what on earth you're supposed to be doing at any given time um, and, and how to work everything. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that being said, once you do understand it, this is a very, this is oddly a, re a very relaxing game to play, I've found. It can be. It, like, not always. There are definitely times where you can see kind of the the tide of the scenario and the map kind of turning against you. And there sometimes it just 
kind of doesn't feel like you can do anything to that because it's progress and and change in this game is a little glacial it's it's sort of like you have to do stuff and then watch it play out for a while before you can really see what's happening and whether or not your situation is improving or getting worse but you know there it's definitely a game that like every time i've sat down to play it i've just found myself losing like an hour yeah, a single round of this game can take quite a long time, as uh, you know. I kind of learned is when I jumped into it for the first time, and yeah, yeah, I, I it was it was quite a while before I got to the end of that first round, and there are a lot of different scenarios to go through in like the the sort of campaign. Mode oh yeah, there's what what is it? It's has. like five hundred or something scenarios. I think it's a huge, it's, some, yeah, it's a like, huge number. I can't imagine anybody ever seeing all of these, but uh, I'm sure somebody has. I'm sure there are like just people who this is. This kind of game was, like, absolutely their thing, and they would just, you know, be happy to sit here and kind of, you know, chisel away at it for hours and hours. And this game will let you do that if you want to. I kind of tend to think that this would be a really good podcast game. Yeah. Because one thing this game absolutely does not have going for it is music. Uh, All the music (laughs) in the game is uh, very short loops for the most part and are not very good or worth listening to. I find find the music and just the overall sound design in this game profoundly unpleasant. That's it. That's the whole music. Yeah, it just sounds like weird drone chanting in, uh, in the regular environment and then there are other environments that um, we didn't explore like there is a desert environment Uh a cake environment interesting also something called a silly environment which i listened to the music for i I didn't actually see what it looks like it sounds kind of spooky actually okay But again, like all of the music loops, even though there was a little bit more music to them, were only about six seconds long. And I, I don't know if it just loops those six seconds endlessly or if they only pipe up every now and then, but just not a lot of music and not, not very good. Maybe someday when I'm, when I'm very, very old, I'll look back at all the hundreds of episodes of podcasts that, that we've created and I'll think, maybe I'll listen to all of these one more time and I'll just sit down and play populous for the rest of my days while listening to all of the work that we put out there yeah. for the people. Um, and that's how I'll go. That's how I'll go out. That's, that's just... A good, uh, that's a good dream. That's a good dream. <laughs> yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to say about this one? Not really. I mean, I, I, we talked a lot about the UI. I find the graphics themselves sort of unremarkable. I think that talking about the UI and kind of the extremely elaborate setup is is more or less the only thing worth talking about with when it comes to the graphics. I don't have any experience with this game outside of our playing of it, so I can't speak to how it compares to other versions. But uh, I will say, what I've been given to understand, this is not an unrepresentative version of this game. So if you're going to play Populous, you absolutely could do worse than, than playing the Super Nintendo version. I'm looking at the list right now, and I think the closest thing that I could compare this to right now might be something like Draken. Yeah. Um, it's kind of funny with the UI. It's it's almost like the opposite problem that Draken has, where <laughs> Draken has a bunch of menus that you have to cycle through that are pretty verbose and, and pretty good at telling you what everything is, whereas Populous just has everything on the screen for you, but it's completely opaque and, and just not possible to parse without some document telling you what everything is for. I also just feel like... In general, I don't enjoy, maybe enjoy is the wrong word, but I'm not as 
fascinated, let's say, by the world of Populous as I am by the world of Draken for some reason. Yeah. Draken just feels more compelling. Like, there's something there to unearth, whereas with Populous... I feel like I got a read on Populous pretty fast as far as, like, what it's going to be for however many hundreds of hours you're going to play it. Yeah, and again, like, I, I think for fans of those sorts of games, like, there's a lot of content there, and it's it's certainly not poorly executed. I, I You know, Populous is just fine, but I just, I don't find myself enjoying it as much as Draken. What do you think about it? I agree. I do think that it makes sense to compare those two games. They feel like they've been dropped in from, like, another completely different reality of what video games are compared to a lot of more traditionally what you would find on a Nintendo system. For as as weird and kind of flawed as things are about Draken, I would rather play that game and kind of give it my time to like show me what it's got going on. These both feel like games that were sort of dragged kicking and screaming onto a console yes. from a, a computer system. Uh-huh. I do think that like maybe Populous is a bit more representative. We lose a little bit more in the transition with Draken than we do with Populous, but I think that just speaks more to like the fact that Draken is a more ambitious game presentation wise than Populous is. Populous feels like a, a like I was given a sandbox where uh, Draken feels much more like I was given a, a fully handcrafted experience, and I'm just kind of a little bit more drawn to that than I am. With uh, I'm with so you, yeah. I, I think it definitely goes below Draken. Um, next up on the list, we've got Final Fight. What do you think of uh, Final Fight versus Populous? I think that as far as being a conversion from another format goes, I think that Populous is is a more complete version of itself than final fight was i still can't really get over the fact that final fight doesn't let you play with a second player visually final fight does such a good job but it's it's like a nice piece of of scenery you know like it's it's good to look at but if you look behind it there's less there than you'd like whereas i think with populace you know this is this is populace like if you want that experience here it is for you so i would say probably um Probably I would actually put this game between Draken and Final Fight. On the surface, that just feels ridiculous to say that like Populous is a better game than Final Fight, but given all the shortcomings of the Super NES version, I I think I'm I think I'm on board with that with that line of thinking. I think that this goes between Draken and Final Fight and is our new number six. Alright. So what do we have next? So next up, we've got Super Bases Loaded, or perhaps if you have the box or a copy of the cartridge, uh, Ryan Sandberg presents Super Bases Loaded, even though Ryan Sandberg's endorsement is not anywhere to be found in the game itself. An endorsement for a game that's only on the box for a player that, not being like a, a big baseball fan, I've never heard of. I'm sure he was very successful at the time, so it probably made sense for them to get this. I mean, doing research for this, I have learned he's in the Hall of Fame, so he's he's obviously he obviously wasn't a bad player. It's kind of funny, too, because when you look at the cover, you see um, he's wearing a uniform that has uh, been very intentionally scrubbed of any team affiliation because this game does not have any other sort of endorsements or licenses yeah it's got his endorsement it has no professional team endorsements whatsoever so uh instead of teams like the chicago cubs we end up with the chicago cyclops and the new york mercs which 
sounds a little uncomfortable. A little bit, yeah. Or or perhaps the Atlanta amoebas are more your thing. That's an absolutely astounding name for a team. Like I, I'm half expecting the Springfield Isotopes to make an appearance at that point. What's actually kind of funny is that uh, there is a team on here called the Seattle Storm. I'm so glad you brought this up. Which is actually a real professional sports team in Seattle, but not a baseball team. They're the WNBA team for Seattle, which probably, I'm going to guess, did not exist uh, in 1991. I don't when think so. Came out. So, first of all, I mean, you know, standard disclosure when it comes to sports games, we are not sports people. Uh, but yeah, this, uh, this sure is a baseball game, and it's got a kind of unusual um sort of meta goal to it do you want to talk about that a little bit yeah so when you play the game it opens up challenging you to play what it calls a perfect game the objective here isn't necessarily to like play an entire season and win the world series or anything like that but it's to play as perfectly as possible the game tells you that it's ranking you in like 13 categories. Those categories, I don't believe, are told to you anywhere within the game. It might be in the instruction manual. I'm not sure. Uh, luckily, GameFAQs is my friend. It's somebody on there told me what it's looking for. You will lose points, basically, for doing things like allowing home runs, getting caught stealing a base, or even throwing to an unmanned base. Um, so aside from just like trying to not... Uh, allow the opposing team any runs or hits uh, you're also trying to prevent errors on your side and just trying not to uh, do any of these things that the game would deem boneheaded plays and would uh, cost you points so being able to actually play a perfect game against a level five team which i'm guessing is the highest difficulty that the game has to offer you are presented with a different ending than you would get uh playing any other way so that's pretty interesting so this is we should say this is a japanese game uh this was a jalico game developed by tosei and the original japanese name was super professional baseball and uh i think that that sounds that goal sounds like the most professional way to play baseball that you can have uh you know let's go out there let's do a perfect game and that's an interesting goal. I don't know that, for my experience, I feel like this game gives you all the tools you would need to play that perfect game, necessarily. Maybe it's because we're not as familiar with kind of the ins and outs of this genre of game and, like, how exactly to to do everything exactly right. But it did feel, to me at least, like there's a lot of imprecise movement in this. Yeah, I didn't feel like I had great control over that. And I mean, I think part of the reason is that um, I think this game makes some interesting choices with uh, camera angles and, and positioning of the field. So when you're pitching or batting, the camera is positioned behind the pitcher, which is not strange for a bases loaded game, but is a little bit different because I just remember playing like RBI baseball when I was a kid and it always seemed like the camera was behind the batter. And I think that would be pretty much the standard for most other baseball games, at least of the um, eight and 16 bit eras. But the, the very strange thing that isn't even common for a bases loaded game is the fact that when you are fielding, second base is positioned at the bottom of the screen instead of home plate, which uh, is something that they did in Bases Loaded 3, but was not the positioning of the baseball diamond for uh, Bases Loaded 1 or 2. And it's not really what I would think of as standard for most baseball games of that era either. I, I don't like it personally. Like, it, it feels very disorienting to me. Like, 
we, you know, I played this on my own, and and then we played it again together later, and, like, I never really felt like I I exactly got used to that. Yeah, I mean, when you're used to holding down on the D-pad to throw to home, and suddenly you do that to throw to second, it's it's really strange, and... um, yeah, I just I, I didn't care for it all that much. I think presentation wise, it's fine. It doesn't do a whole lot to really make itself stand out from other baseball games. It's, it's pretty bright and colorful. You get some good big sprites for the pitcher and the batter. That all looks good. It's got some pretty nice music. Uh, kind of you know just just fun, exciting. Uh, get your blood up, sports. Yeah, music, I mean, I, I think the game looks fine, but honestly, I don't think it's a huge leap from what Bases Loaded looked like on the NES either. It's not exceptional. It looks fine. I will say I did appreciate that it was very easy on the kind of mini map when, you know, you've got a a ball in play. Uh it, it's it's very easy to kind of line up your outfielders to catch balls as they're as they're coming out uh, with with how kind of clear the mini map is. I do appreciate that. That's kind of the one thing that really sticks out to me as something actively good about the way this game presents itself. Yeah, um, I really appreciated the sort of Street Fighter-esque versus screen when you start the game with with the, all your players are just like on fire and facing each other like like they're going to yeah. beat the crap out of each other with their bats rather than just play a game of baseball. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's very good, actually. Honestly, I wish the game had more kind of distinctive visual flourishes like that because that's kind of the only one. I like that a lot, but it doesn't really carry through to the rest of the game, which is just, here's a baseball game. If they're leaned into that kind of crazy presentation a little bit more, it might like kind of mask over some of its shortcomings a bit. Yeah, you know, just give it more of a distinctive personality, because I don't really think this game has much of one, aside from the kind of wacky team names and that one screen that you just mentioned. I don't really know that there's a lot that separates this from other baseball games, aside from you know, the the whole perfect game idea. But when you're in the game, when you're actually playing it, it doesn't really do anything to remind you that that's the goal. And that, to me, does not feel great. You can do variations on your pitching. Um, it's not always obvious. And you can steal as well. I, I found out by reading the game fact. But none of these instructions are really shown to you on the screen, which probably wouldn't have been standard by that point. But I think by the end of the Super NES era, you were seeing sports games that kind of more or less told you, like, here's how you would do one of these pitches. And, you know, so just so that, like, you've got that reference available to you because it isn't always just obvious that, like, oh, yeah, I push this on the D-pad while pushing B and that's going to you know, throw this pitch versus a standard pitch. Yeah, the fact that, like, that stuff isn't there makes this not as newbie-friendly as probably some baseball games would be later on. Yeah, I I don't have much else to say about it other than that to you. No, I really don't. Um, I think that it is time to put this one on the list. Yeah, and that's that's going to be kind of tricky. So, I mean, I guess the obvious comparison here is is down near number nine. We've got Howl's Hole-in-One. Do you think this is a better baseball game than Howl's Hole-in-One was a golf game? I don't know. I mean, I think they're on kind of similar, similar terms. I think maybe the presentation in Howl's Hole-in-One golf is maybe a little bit better than this. I um, think it's actually maybe a good deal better, to be honest with you. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I think that's... No, I think you're actually right. I think that Hal clearly was working, you know, at, at sort of like uh, a more a more advanced level with the technology of the Super Nintendo. And I think that their golf game is something that looks 
and plays different enough from what you would have gotten on the NES that, you know, it feels like an actual real step up where I don't really know that you can say the same thing about Super Bases Loaded. You know, my, my problems with golf as a video game in general aside, I think that if you are a sports game fan, I think you're probably better served as a, as a golfing game fan with House Hole in One than you would be with Super Bases Loaded as a baseball game fan. Yeah. Um, but again, I, I mean, think like, that's true. These are all older sports titles. You're probably better served elsewhere anyway, but I think I would be okay putting this between... Well, actually, I don't know. Do you think that this is a better game than Hyperzone? Do you, do you think this goes below Hyperzone? Hyperzone, I, I think, has some real issues that reveal themselves when you play that game for more than, like, a few minutes. But it is so distinctive. Like, there's not really anything else like Hyperzone. It is quite fun for at least a little while to play that. Hyperzone is at the bottom of our list, not because it's a bad game. I mean, there's literally... I mean, yeah, you could say Hyperzone is... is you know the worst game on our list right now but you could also say it's the it's the 10th best game on the super nintendo like it's still in the top 10 and and honestly i think i'm going to advocate for it to continue being in the top 10 for now i think i think that yeah super bases loaded goes below it I agree. I don't think there's much that really stands out about Super Bases Loaded. I think we pretty much covered all of that stuff, and and none of that is anything that you can't see by just, like, you know, spending a few minutes watching a video of the game on on YouTube. Whereas with Hyperzone, mm-hmm. I would actually recommend people try to play that, because it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a weird one, and it's kind of cool. Yeah, so would you say we've covered all our bases? I think that we have super covered all our bases. All right. Well, uh, let's uh, let's head back to the dugout and check out our next game. All right. Super R Type, uh, developed and published by Irem. This is uh, a sort of port of of uh, R-Type 2 with some extra bits and bobs added to it for the Super Nintendo? It's got some extra levels added okay. to it. So it is a distinct game from R-Type 2. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's another side-scrolling shooter uh, in the same vein as Gradius 3. It's got its own kind of twist on a power-up system. Uh, it's kind of most distinctive thing is that you have a pod that you can get as a kind of major power-up that can either be attached to the front or back of your ship and can be uh, both used as kind of a shield because uh, it's it's it, it cannot be hurt. It fires its own projectile when it is disconnected from you, which you can do. You can kind of disconnect it from you and then shoot it out uh and it can fire in either direction depending on which way you have it facing so it's it's kind of one of the main things this game has going on that's that's you know specific to it it's a pretty versatile little device and it really does add a lot to just a a, what's otherwise a kind of a standard space shooter yeah i think it's neat uh i think it's a neat idea the other thing that kind of is is a little distinctive about this game is that it's very hard it is a game that has pretty lengthy levels and no mid-stage checkpoints on anything but the easiest difficulty and just much like with with Gradius, it uh, it basically strips you of all your power ups whenever you do die and have to restart. This is a game that I both enjoy playing and also found really frustrating once we got up to even like the standard difficulty level. Uh, I think we talked about this a little bit in, with 
with our conversation on Gradius 3, but this game does suffer from a lot of slowdown. I would say this game suffers from much worse slowdown than Gradius 3. With Gradius, it still felt quite playable, you know, even even when there was a lot going on on screen and it was slowing down. But this one just chugs when you get a lot going on. I would say anywhere past, like, kind of the first the first chunk of the first level there's a lot of slowdown going on in this which in a way is good because it makes it easier to dodge projectiles but it it is it is really noticeable and i i think that it's hard to overstate kind of just how how rough that feels sometimes which is a shame because this game has really nice graphics and great music i i I mean i know it's kind of a a a thin feel but of the games we're playing today i would say this one has by far the best music yes so (laughs) i mean yeah again that's a low bar to clear which almost you know makes it sound like a backhanded compliment but no we really are saying it's good music I would say one other thing, and this kind of goes back to talking about the pod. One thing that did cause some trouble for me personally when I was playing this game that I I feel like is worth noting is that I actually think that the sprite for player character ship and the pod is a little too big. Especially when you have the pod attached to your ship, it can become a little difficult to really judge where you're safe that i definitely suffered a few deaths where a projectile connected with me because i wasn't really reading kind of the hitbox for my ship quite right because of how big it was and because um it was hard to judge sort of where the pod which can't be hit ended and where my ship began yeah i could definitely see that being an issue that's a little bit of an issue obviously that's one that becomes not an issue once you've played the game for long enough that you're you're not being confused by that anymore but i feel like it is a little bit worth noting but otherwise yeah i mean i'm being it sounds like i'm being kind of harsh on this game but i actually enjoyed playing this a lot like i think it's got issues but i do think that the stages are well designed they're colorful there's a lot of diversity in the enemies there's a lot of really good bosses in this game and you know once you get into kind of a flow with it you can have a lot of fun with it and it's good i just think there's there's some real caveats to this one I don't know. How do you feel about this? I'm yeah. I think I'm kind of with you. I, I really like our type in general. Like you know, I think I think the 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 pod kind of deciding when you want to fire it, using it offensively, and when it's best to use it defensively. I think it's it's a really cool mechanic. I don't know if I think that's enough to elevate it above, say, where Gradius Three is right now at number four on our list. It, it sounds like you definitely have a preference for Gradius Three over this game. I. I think Gradius 3 for the Super Nintendo came together a little bit better, personally. You know, I don't know that if I was going to just compare both games in, like, a vacuum, I think probably Super R-Type, like, in terms of mechanics and visuals, I actually like a little bit more in some ways. But I don't think that the game as it exists on the Super Nintendo really serves those. Okay, I I think that's fair. So I, I think it could go below Gradius 3. Um, how about with uh, number five, Draken? Do you think this is uh, better or worse than Draken? The, the thing with this is that, like, I do think that the difficulty in this is actually kind of, in some ways, so high that it would probably discourage me from really trying to dig in with this one and play a lot of it. Whereas with Draken, I could kind of noodle around with that game and and explore it and try to figure out what what to do and where to go. Yeah, in that I think one. both of these games 
maybe have a problem where they kind of hit a wall. With R-Type, it's because of its difficulty, and with Draken, it's just because the game is a little bit inscrutable. With But with Draken, you can always just go on the internet these days and figure out what on earth you're supposed to be doing, whereas with Super R-Type, you have to just try and get through it, which, you know, depending on your skill level, maybe you just can't. And I feel like R-Type, it's going to look like something that's going to appeal to to maybe a greater audience than Draken might. So I don't know how I feel about putting it below Draken. Well, even on a personal level, I don't know if I would say I am more fascinated by Draken than I am of, of Super R-Type, because I, I do really like Super R-Type a lot. It's just that, uh, it, yeah, this is a hard comparison to make. I, I think I would probably... If I was going to recommend one of these games to somebody, I probably would recommend Super R-Type over Draken to somebody, just because I think that, like, it's it's a little bit difficult to tell whether or not other people would be willing to put up with the stuff that, that the kind of less appealing elements that Draken throws at you as I am. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I think if somebody asked me for a recommendation for something very out of the ordinary for the Super Nintendo, I would, like, Draken would be one of the first things I would say. But if someone were just to, like, recommend, you know, ask for a recommendation, I would probably say Super R-Type before I would say Draken in most circumstances. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. So I think we're making a decent case that probably it deserves to go between Gradius 3 and Draken. Yeah, I think I'm okay with that. So Super R-Type is now our new number five game on the system. And sorry, Hyperzone, you're no longer a top ten game. Yeah, sorry about You've that. you been pushed down to number 11, but uh, it, you had a good run. You and your many ships will be fondly remembered. All right, well, we got uh, one more game on the list for today. about this one okay well this one is uh this is the chess master and um this is to my knowledge the only chess game to have come out on the super nintendo it was uh published by mindscape and developed by toolworks which actually i believe mindscape or had acquired mindscape uh before this game came out and they would all end up being rolled into the learning company which then would be sold to ubisoft so i think Ubisoft still maybe has the rights to a chess master, although I don't think we've seen another chess master since 2008. But this is a very long-running chess franchise. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a pretty, this is a very venerable chess game series. It, you know, it's it's for a chess simulation. It's very popular. Uh, it definitely showed up in a lot of places throughout the you know, the late 80s and and you know through the 90s really. And it sure is a chess game that you can play on the Super Nintendo. Yeah, this this is that, and it is very little more than that. It, it can kind of be used as a chess tutor in some ways. I, I don't know how robust that system is. One thing that's very strange about it is that uh, when you hit start on the main menu, it just dumps you right into chess. Yeah, you, you have to go into the options menu once you start the game to adjust things like the AI difficulty level, sound effects, music. Uh, there's an, an entire different uh, set of chess pieces that you can use that look completely different. 
you would not know that if you didn't mess around with the controls beyond just trying to play that chess game that it drops you straight into there. Yeah, so unless you hit the select button from the from the board, uh, you don't know that you've got those options available to you. It, I think, speaks to maybe the fact that, like, the people making this game cared a lot about making a chess game and not much about the video game aspect of this, like the visual or sound or the interface stuff going on in this all feels very much like people that didn't really have either an eye for that or possibly just an interest in it. Yeah, one thing I I just find baffling about this is just how bare bones the experience is. You have two different sets of chess pieces. You have one piece of music that you will listen to and probably just turn off pretty quickly because it's not great. It's worth noting that the game does not default to having that music on. You have to turn that on. And oh, that's I think right. once you do, you probably understand why they didn't uh, have that set to be on in the first place. Because it's not very good. There's a lot of kind of Seinfeld-sounding slap bass going on there, and it's it's pretty grating after a couple of minutes. So uh, you can increase or decrease the skill of the computer-controlled opponent, and I think there's also an option to play this two-player, correct? Yes, there is. Okay. Another interesting thing about this is that you can set the difficulty on the computer high enough to the point where it'll actually take a couple minutes to move sometimes, which can be a little bit annoying. Thankfully, it does give you the option to force the computer to move if it is taking too long, so you can kind of get through the chess games a little bit faster that way, but I imagine that would also cut the legs out from under its difficulty to some extent if you are using that to speed the game along, so. And I think that that is definitely something we should talk about, because, so, okay, neither of us are big chess fans. Uh, I am not great at chess. I'm, I'll freely admit that. Same. So, the fact that this game pretty routinely beat both of us at chess doesn't mean a whole lot, but mm-hmm. it is known for being, I think, a good chess opponents. I think that's an important thing to note about this. It may be bare bones in terms of presentation, but if you want to play chess against a computer, you could do worse than this. Uh, You could do a lot worse than this, in fact. I do feel like also, because this is similar to a sports game in which there have been multiple iterations since this one, there are way better chess experiences, even if you are just looking for that bare bones experience. Oh yeah, that's definitely true. Like, I don't think... Frankly, that there's anything about the presentation of this game, which is the only thing this game really has beyond just being a chess simulator. There's nothing about the presentation of this game that is good enough that I would recommend anybody play this instead of a modern chess game. You know, in terms of visuals, it's a very basic looking chessboard. It's readable, but it's not in any way distinctive or interesting looking. It has two different, I believe, two different sound effects that will play uh, when you move a piece, uh, depending on what you've done with the piece, whether it, you know, just moved or whether it captured a piece. It has, I think, a third sound effect that will play when you uh, either win or lose the game when checkmate happens. And that's it. In terms of the aesthetics, it looks like something that would come for free with a computer that you bought in this era. Yeah, almost. I think that that is underselling it because really the the thing here that makes this worth being its own game is the chess AI. But like I said, that's not something that this game is necessarily doing in any way better than games than versions of of 
this same game that came after it. So, I yeah, I find it very hard to recommend this in any way. Yeah, and another thing that really puts a damper on this one is that even earlier versions of video chess on computers and even on the NES, like thinking of something like Battle Chess, where at the very least you've got kind of like these cute animations that play out whenever a, one piece attacks another, can kind of be entertaining in their own right and maybe be a reason as somebody with nostalgia for that to go back to some of those older games. This does not have that at all. Yeah, no, it doesn't have anything kind of distinctive about the presentation. And that would really be the only reason why you'd want to play this instead of another chess game. Yeah, so I think I'm going to say something that's not terribly controversial here. I think this is not as good as Super Bases Loaded. Yeah, I agree. I mean, at the very least, Super Bases Loaded has a particular charm. It's got the music and the visuals you would expect, and those do have some some appeal. I don't think this really has any of that. Uh, this really has anything. Yeah, I would I would be very comfortable putting this at the bottom of the list. The, the Chess Master series wouldn't even have like an official endorsement from any chess people for another couple of iterations, from what I read. So it doesn't even like have that kind of charming endorsement on the box, like Super Bases Loaded did. It has so. a wizard on the box. That's something. Yeah, but so do all of the other versions of the Chess Master. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. It's true. I guess he is the chess master. Is that the idea that like he's the he's the like godlike chess chess player that you're playing against? I, I guess it would make sense to assume that he's the guy that you're playing against. Uh, you know, like you're, that that's what you're supposed to be imagining. But in any case, uh, yeah. So the chess master is now going to be our number thirteen game. So so at the bottom here we got the chess master. We got super bases loaded at number twelve. Hyperzone at eleven. Hal's hole in one. Pilot wings. Final Fight, Populous, Draken, Super R-Type at number 5, Gradius 3 at number 4, Sim City at number 3, F-Zero at number 2, and still at number 1 is good old Super Mario World. Alright, so not a lot of shake-up in terms of the top end of the list, but we did fill out kind of the mid-ranks of this a bit more, so I think that's good. You know, even though some of the games we played today don't really do a whole lot for the two of us. It is interesting to see kind of the diversity of this lineup at this point. I still don't think we have anything here that is bad, per se. No. But, spoiler alert, I think we're going to get into that territory next time on the show. Yeah, um, that's exciting. You know, it, in a weird way, it will be good to have a game that we may think is genuinely not very good to act as kind of a baseline against some of these other things. Yeah, next time we are going to experience a pretty high high and a very low low. <laughs> so all right. look forward to that. Until then, thank you all for listening. I'm Steampunk Link. I'm Emmy Zero. And until next time, play it loud. Our intro outro song is How Now Brown Cow by Technoaxe, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty free at technoaxe.com. For more of our content, check out honestpiranha.com. Thanks for listening. Brown, 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 brown.